Today our scripture reading is from Mark chapter 11 verses 12 through 25. So let's hear God's word together today. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he, being Jesus, was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening had come, when evening came, they went out of the city. And they passed by in the morning, and they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Jesus answered him, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that he, what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. Amen. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for uh, gathering us here. Thank you for the word that you have given to us. Uh, thank you for sending Christ who came that day in the temple to teach us a great deal about who he is and who you are and what you sent him to accomplish. Lord, bless the time as we um, unfold your word, expose your word. May it speak truth to our lives and may you transform our hearts by the power of your spirit. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, does anybody uh, here feel busy? I'm really just looking for some solidarity. Will anybody confess to feeling a little bit busy? Just a few. Okay, thank you. Uh, frequently, I feel like I'm struggling. Yeah, we got two hands raised per person. Thank you. Uh, frequently, I feel like I'm, I'm, just, I'm just struggling to like just keep up with the one next thing in front of me. Uh, as much as uh, I, I preach margin, you should, you should build margin in your life. You should... You know, be careful to not overschedule yourselves. Frequently, we find we are uh, two minutes late for the thing that we were supposed to do because we were over, you know. Do anybody else live this way? I'm just constantly one thing after another. Uh, for right now, four kids because of a foster child, school activities, birthdays, uh, extracurricular stuff, and as of the last couple months, a couple rounds of sicknesses through the house. We just have kind of been struggling just to kind of make the next day happen, you know. Uh, we were very excited. Amber and I looked at each other about 4 o'clock yesterday afternoon because it was the first Saturday. We hadn't really had anything planned that we had to do. And we're like, we've got to do this more often. <laughs> it's really nice to have a Saturday with nothing to do. Maybe for you, uh, your, your life may be more or less busy. Uh, we at Infinity Church try not to over-program you in, in church things. But even so, there can be a temptation in kind of religious activity to just be busy about religious things. 
Maybe in December is the month we notice it. Maybe, maybe leading up to Easter you notice it. But just in general, if you're a part of our Sunday mornings for a couple hours, if you are uh, maybe plugged in through our Wednesday nights, by the time you do come 30 minutes early and stay 30 minutes late, there's a couple hours. Maybe you're involved in a, a small group study on a different time or a different part of the week. Maybe you're spending some extra time right now leading up to Easter in, in Bible study and prayer. It, it can be pretty easy to get busy with lots of religious activities. And that can be a very good and holy and wonderful thing. But it can also be dangerous, can it? To be busy about religious activity can be dangerous. Maybe for you, maybe it's not just busyness, but maybe it's just coming to church on a Sunday morning. In this hour, this is a very good thing. It is a, a step of faith for most of the time, but it can be tempting for even something as simple as coming to a worship service at 10.30 on a Sunday morning, even on spring forward, even in the rain, we could do this with bad motives, could we not? We could come just for the sake of checking a box or, or looking religious in some kind of way. It's good for us to evaluate from time to time why we do the things that we do, especially the things that we intend to honor God with. And so I ask you, why do you come? Why do you come to worship? We pray this is a time your heart and mind is focused primarily on worshiping God. Your eyes are primarily lifted up. But we pray that you come as a way of fellowshipping with one another and encouraging one another as you gather. Maybe even serving, using your gifts and talents and your, your ways that you can bless other people as you come. Those are good reasons to come. But it could be easy to come just for the sake of feeling good about ourselves, couldn't it? To do religious activity as a way of, of patting ourselves on the back and say, I'm okay because I go to church. I'm a church person. And that, that makes me okay. In our passage this morning, Jesus confronts a group of people and really a, a whole system that was full of all kinds of religious activity. People doing things that look like it was intended to, to be a blessing to God, to be a, a form of worship. And so I think Jesus confronts all of us today, wants to get all of our attention, but especially those of us who frequent this place. If you consider yourself a, a church person, you do religious type things, we should be especially attuned to Jesus' message about why we do the things that we do. Jesus calls us, as always, as we say frequently, to be focused on, attentive to what's going on in our hearts, not just the external appearances. We've been walking through the book of Mark, and after we scheduled the, the baptism for today, I considered jumping over to a more traditional baptism-focused passage. But as I considered this passage a little more deeply, this, what could be a more religious activity than baptism? So we want to be careful, even in something as, as beautiful and wonderful, that we're doing it for the right reasons. And so I think it fits well for us today. Jesus teaches us uh, in kind of a unique manner as we go through this passage in Mark. And it may be worth just noticing, thinking about Jesus as such an incredible master teacher. Do you notice the different ways that he teaches? Sometimes he, he teaches with just kind of a, a one sentence, like mic drop type, amazing one-liner. You know, just, just one sentence is enough for everybody to be blown away. Sometimes he, he, he teaches through a parable where there's kind of using natural, normal, you know, agricultural type things to make a spiritual point. Sometimes his teaching is primarily using a, a miracle to then make a point. Sometimes he takes a longer sermon, like the Sermon on the Mount, where he unfolds it that way. Today's lesson is kind of unique. He acts out a parable. 
he teaches in a way that, that is showing what he's doing is proving a spiritual point. And he does so in what, uh, if you go through the Gospel of Mark, you'll notice over and over again, Mark has, the, there's a, I think there's a more nuanced term, for more scholarly term for this, but I call these Markin sandwiches. Is that, is that scholarly enough for you? It's a sandwich. He talks about one thing, then he talks about something else that seems kind of unrelated, but then he comes back to the first thing. He makes a sandwich with it. And the way he's doing that is so that he tells you, these, you're meant to take these together. These two things he's talking about interpret one another. And so that's what we have here. Jesus walks up to a fig tree that's in leaf, but yet not, not supposed to be producing figs. He curses it and leaves. And you're like, what was that about? Then he walks into a temple and has some words for the, what's going on there and does some things there we'll look at. And then the next day, the very next thing recorded in Mark is that he comes back to the fig tree. You see the sandwich? Fig tree, temple, fig tree. And he does that so that we interpret these together. Each of these is supposed to help us understand what's going on in the other. And there's plenty of smaller messages within these two teachings. You could, you could spend a lot of time in these passages. But what's, the, what's the, the overarching theme? Why is he connecting a cursed fig tree with activity in the temple? What do these things have in common? Well, I think the best way to describe the thing that they have in common, the fig tree and this temple cleansing, is that activity or, or signs of life is not the same thing as fruit. Activity is not the same thing as fruit. Or if we want to make it spiritual, to get the spiritual application, we might say it this way. Religious activity does not equal spiritual fruit. Religious activity does not equal spiritual fruit. Let's look at that on the fig first. By itself, this encounter seems very strange. He was hungry. He comes to a fig tree. He's Jesus. He knows it's not in season. He's not surprised by this. But from a distance, he can look at it and see that it has leaves on it. A tree with leaves looks alive. It is alive. And yet when he gets up to it, the fig tree does not have the thing that makes it beneficial, makes it a blessing to people. It does not, is not bearing fruit. And so he curses it because he's showing us that just because something that looks like it's alive doesn't mean it's actually producing fruit. The appearance is not always the same as the reality. Simple enough, you, and you could read, I went way too far reading about all fig trees and commentators go into all kinds of depths about the life cycles of fig trees, explaining what was going on. And you're welcome to do that if that helps you. I found it just very simple. It's an object lesson. It looks like it's got fruit, but it doesn't actually have fruit. Appearances are not always what they seem. Religious activity is not the same thing as spiritual fruit. And that's the same reality he encounters when he gets to the temple. It's almost hard for us to comprehend what that visual would have looked like as Jesus came into the temple on that holy week, this Passover week. Passover is approaching at the end of the week, and so thousands and thousands of people are gathering for this, one of the biggest festivals of the Jewish year, to celebrate Passover together. And as they come, they're coming to a place, to a temple that is year-round a place of sacrifice. But this time, this week, all the more, there's a lot more sacrifice going on. Passover is a special time where people remembered what God had done for His people in delivering them out of Egypt. They remember back when God had sent the angel of death over, over Egypt, but He had told the people of Israel, if you, if you kill the Passover lamb and put the blood over the doorway, 
Then the angel of death will pass over you and your life will be spared. From that point forward, year after year, the people of Israel celebrated this festival, recognizing God as the Savior who saved through blood as the lamb died so that they didn't have to die. Thousands and thousands of people come to celebrate in Jerusalem at this, at this uh, festival. And for many, it made a lot more sense to just buy your Passover lamb when you got there rather than bringing it with you. For some, it was a distance issue. Trying to get a lamb to travel that far will be difficult. For others, it was a matter of saying, I, I don't know if my lamb is pure enough. And so it's easier to maybe sell a lamb at home and buy one there. But for whatever, for all different kinds of reasons, many people would show up to the temple and they would buy their sacrificial lamb there at, at, in Jerusalem. Now people are coming from all different places, so they have all different kinds of currency. So if you're going to buy this lamb in the, in the currency of the temple, there also has to be lots of money changers. And so people were coming from all different places and they're changing out currency to get the right kind in order to buy their lambs. So that's what's going on. But how many are going on? What's, how, how big of a scale is this? Well, we don't fully know, of course. It's a long time ago. But we have a, some estimates. Uh, the, in the court that they were in, so the outer court, Herod had expanded this. So at the time of Jesus, this, this, the place where this was happening was some 500 yards long by 325 uh, yards wide, which means it was almost 35 acres. I double-checked that math because I didn't believe that, but that's, that is accurate. Almost 35 acres of open space that is inside the outer court of the temple. That's a big space. Apparently, they needed it. Some 30 years, the closest historical record we have is from a historian named Josephus, who recorded in the year 66 AD, so some 30 years after Jesus, so maybe population grew a little bit, but you know this gets us in the ballpark. He recorded that the week of Passover, there were 255,000 lambs that were sacrificed that week. 255. Even if you say, man, he was exaggerating, he doubled the number. I don't, whatever. 100,000 lambs? That is a lot. 255,000 lambs being sacrificed in the place of, in a, in a space of 35 acres. Of, this, there's a lot going on. You get that picture? And imagine what that was like. People coming from all different places, different languages, different currency. You got pigeons, you got lambs, you got money changers, you got tables, all this going on. Maybe it's dusty, maybe it's loud, maybe it's busy, maybe it's a little bit chaotic. You know what's probably not going on right in the middle of all that? A lot of praying. <laughs> probably not a lot of praying. And that's the problem, isn't it? This part of the temple where this, all this was taking place was known as the Court of the Gentiles. The temple way it was structured, kind of these concentric circles, the outer parts for the Gentiles, one layer in for Jewish women, one layer in Jewish men, and the very center, the very, the very the, the closest in part, the Holy of Holies, only for the, the one, or the one uh, high priest on the Day of Atonement, one day of a year. So that outer court, it's where most people are allowed to come, people from all nations. And when they're coming there, when Jesus sees it, it's a place of, uh, of trading, it's a place of, of passing, of getting everything ready. But of course, they're, they're missing the point. They're going through the religious activity. They're getting their lambs ready. They're doing all these things, but they're missing the point. They're not in prayer. They were too busy going about the busyness, the business of religion that they weren't accomplishing. They weren't doing the thing that they came to do. 
which was to worship. It may be easy for us to look back on that time period and say, well, God, of course, I mean, those guys, that's ridiculous. How could you miss it? How could you be so busy in money and changing animals that you, you're, you're not making space to pray? Well, as soon as those words come out of your mouth, I hope you can feel that same temptation we all face. It can be so easy, easy to be so busy, so occupied, whether it be with church things or other things in life, that we don't make the space to pray. We don't make the space to be in worship. Maybe even for you, if you're too busy when you come here, as I'll confess, I can be so tempted. I can show up to church with a list of things I got to do. I got, I got to preach today after all, right? I got people I want to see. I want to get the, everything, you know. We can even show up to church. Maybe you're on the security team. Maybe you're part of the band. Maybe you're leading a children's class. And it can be easy to so, be so focused on religious activity that the very state of our hearts misses the point of it all. We're here to worship. We're here to pray. And we can run right past that. Maybe throughout, not just today, but throughout the week, are you making time to genuinely be in worship? Are you too busy about good things for the most important things? Jesus could see all this as He came in. and We, we, we didn't spend much time on it. The verse right before this, the end of the triumphal entry, He'd walked in, He'd seen the temple, so He knew what's coming on. And He could see all this, and He made His displeasure very obvious. <laughs> Nobody missed it. Verse 15, we read, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of money of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Jesus was not very happy with what was going on. Now, now what were they doing wrong? I mean, didn't they have to prepare the lamb? Didn't they have to be ready to make the sacrifices? Well, for one, the, the location was not ideal. Jesus, tell, Jesus quotes Isaiah 30, uh, 53, 7, saying, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Go and read Isaiah 53, 1-8, and you hear God's heart for people from all different ethnic groups. He has a heart, He has a desire for people from all nations to be able to come and to worship Him. And yet this incredible market system is set up in the one place where Gentiles were allowed to come and to encounter God's presence. They have overrun, they have, they have made uh, this space that was meant for worship for all people a place just of trading. And they have not given the, the space to the nations to be able to come and worship Him. It was commonly thought that in that day that the Messiah, when He, come, when he, when he would come, that one of the things He would do is that he would, he would purify the Jewish people. He would get rid of these other nations. There was a kind of uh, ethnocentricity, a, a, a focus on their ethnicity, that they would say, it's really, we got to get rid of all the Gentiles and just purify the Jews. That's what they pictured that, that the Messiah would do. So they were, they were saying, this, this outside temple doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't, those people, it doesn't, doesn't matter if they come to worship. And here's Jesus doing the exact opposite. He's making a space for all the nations to come and to worship Him. Jesus then alludes to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 7, 11 when He calls it, instead of it being a house of prayer, it's become a den of robbers. Jeremiah in, in that chapter, in chapter 7, gives a, a sermon there in the temple about the people's hypocrisy. They're going out and breaking all the commandments of the Lord, doing all kinds of things, living like the world, and yet coming into the temple and praising God. And Jeremiah condemns it and said, you can't, you can't be two ways. This is not how it goes. You can't put on a mask when you come into church and just into the temple and just say, now we worship you. 
Jesus said, no, no, that's, that's like robbing God of His glory. You've made it a den of robbers. Jesus was calling out their hearts, calling out their actions, calling out their disdain for the nations and their hypocrisy and saying, this is a, should be a house of prayer. But let me ask you at this point, what was Jesus' goal? What was he trying to accomplish? If on that day they could have just said, oh, you're right, Jesus, we'll move our pigeons right outside the wall. Would that be enough? If they just, if they just pulled it together and said, hey, we'll, we'll do things a little bit better and we'll continue in this system in a little bit you know, cleaner and nicer way. Is that all he was about? No, he, Simon's right. He had a better idea than that. If we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, way back to Adam and Eve, after they sinned against God, do you remember what happened? God sent them. He clothed them, and He sent them away, and He put something between them and the garden. He put a flaming sword that was continually moving as a way of guarding the entrance back into the temple. And it's a symbol of the fact that God's presence, we cannot be, we are, we are unholy, God's presence is holy, and there is, a, there is a guard, there is a separation between us and God. And the only way through that is through a sword, that is through death. And so as God's people progress along in the time uh, of His people, he, builds, he gives them instructions for a tabernacle that later becomes this temple where there's all these checks and balances, all these lines you got to cross and all these things you got to do. And every time to come into the presence of God, it requires a sacrifice. A death must be, uh, uh, somebody must die. Something must take, blood must be shed in order to come back into the presence of God. So when Jesus came that temple that, to the temple that day, he was pointing out some, some, some hypocrisy, some places their hearts were messed up. But he's actually doing even more than that. He was calling for a total new system of sacrifice. He was calling for a total new way of relating to God's presence. And he came to tell them that he was the ultimate Passover lamb. Now you may say, how, how in the world do you get that from this passage? Here's where, verse 18. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him. Jesus was very clear. He's Jesus after all. He knew exactly what was going to happen that day when he protested about the ways the things were going in the temple. He knew that to come and to stand on this hill means that he was going to have to choose to die on that hill. If he was going to pick this battle, it was going to cost him his life. And he knew that very well and was willing to take that step. Jesus was, was passionate about people from all nations, from all walks of life, being able to enter into the presence of God. And he knew that the only way that was ultimately possible is if he died in our place. By defending the presence of God as a place that people should be welcome, he was signing his own death warrant. He was putting himself in the place of the Passover lamb, in the place of the Gentiles, in the place of the Jews, in the place of all of us who deserve to be killed for our sins. Jesus was willing to go back into the Garden of Eden, back into the presence of God, knowing full well that that flaming sword would have to chop, have to land on him before he could come in. He made a way back into the presence of God at the cost of his own life. Religious activity does not equal spiritual fruit 
Because just doing busy things doesn't accomplish us coming into His presence. A debt had to be paid, and Christ paid it for us. Jesus is the one who brings God's presence to all people who believe. That's what He replaces the temple system with on this day in the temple courts. Jesus was overturning more than just tables. He was overturning the entire temple system and making a new way to come to God. He said, instead of now being dependent upon a sacrificial lamb, Jesus had offered himself as that sacrificial lamb. Verse 20 uh, and 21, the disciples come and they ask about this tree. After he has come uh, through the temple, the next day they, they come back, they see the, the fig tree has withered. And his first response, verse 22, have faith in God. The way to enter into God's presence is not through making a sacrifice. It's through faith in Jesus, the one who was sacrificed for us. As John records uh, this time where where Jesus comes into the temple and and cleanses it, he makes the distinction, he makes the the connection even clearer. He says, uh, Jesus in John says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Similar to the way in Mark 13, Jesus told the disciples, all this place, all these, these stones will be knocked over. It will no longer be here. The people are very confused. They said it took 40-something years for us to build this temple, and you're going to destroy it and raise it in three days? And Jesus makes it clear, or the disciples do in John uh, chapter 2, that he was speaking about the temple of his body. Jesus has replaced the system. No longer do we have to go to a building to, to encounter the presence of God. Now we come to a person. Jesus, by faith, and it's in His presence that we encounter the presence of God. Jesus Himself is the temple. Jesus Himself is the one that gives us access to God. And if we know Him, if we've been united to Him by faith, then we get to come into His presence. Now, I didn't warn my my brother-in-law, Anthony, I was going to do this, but Anthony, can I tell a story about you today? (laughs) Anthony... uh, Anthony is one of, uh, one of my brothers-in-law, and he is an incredible kid. Now a teenager. I feel like I shouldn't even call him a kid. He's a big kid. And uh, over the course of his life, because of how great he is and some of the challenges he's faced, he's had some pretty amazing opportunities. I've, I've seen um, uh, multiple times on an airplane that the pilot has invited him to come and sit in the cockpit uh, of the airplane. Uh, Dabo Sweeney, the head coach at Clemson, and his wife, both know and love Anthony by name. They love, they love Anthony. Uh, a few years ago, Anthony was granted a, a wish, the Make-A-Wish Foundation, so he spent a lot of time uh, in Orlando, part of the Give Kids the World uh, experience there, and uh, the, the, he's gotten special VIP treatment a couple places there. One of the kind of the, the steps that goes along with that is he gets to get into certain amusement parts at certain times and certain privileges, and uh, many times... He doesn't have to go through the lines. They get to put him just right in first. And what's amazing is that anybody with him gets those same privileges. So a few years ago, maybe a couple years ago, I got to go with Anthony to Dollywood, and I didn't stand in the line all day. We came to the exit. They put us right on. Every ride we wanted to go on, we got to do just about everything in the park. When you're with somebody who has great access and great privilege, you too have great access and great privilege. If you believe in Jesus Christ, 
the one who is sacrificed for you, you know where you get to go? <laughs> into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of our Savior. You get to go where only Jesus belongs. Jesus stood that day on the temple and condemned all their wicked hearts and all their ways, knowing that it was going to cost Him His life. But He went so that all who believed in Him could get not just to the Gentile court, not just to the Jewish women, the Jewish men, but all the way to the center, to the presence of God Himself. Jesus has made a way by faith for you to be in the presence of God. Do you notice what was repeated in this little sandwich a few times? In the middle, Jesus tells them this will be a house of prayer. When the disciples come and ask about the fig tree, most of His comments are about prayer. So we said at the beginning that just because you have religious activity doesn't mean you have spiritual fruit. But if you do have faith, what is the activity that you do? You pray. You pray. The activity of faith isn't a sacrifice. It's prayer. It's prayer. If you know God, if you have a relationship with Him, then you spend time with Him. You pray with Him. You talk to Him. Jesus is living out a parable. He, 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 he uh, curses this entire fig tree just by speaking. The idea is that we, we, if we know God, great things can happen. Fig trees can die. Mountains can be moved. We can pray to the God Almighty in His presence because we know Him. And great things happen. God loves to answer prayers of His children. He is a compassionate Father. And if we have faith, we ask for the things He wants. And He loves to grant those prayers. And we follow Him in obedience. A lot of commentators, I'm not 100% sure on this, but a lot of commentators connect what Jesus says here to some words back in Zechariah 14 that talks about how there'll be no more trading in the temple anymore. And and whether or not this connection's here, the truth is still the same, so I think it's worth commenting on. He talks about this mountain. It might be a reference to to any mountain, but it could be a reference to the Temple Mount as a way of saying, uh, talking about that chapter, that the, the, the final days are here. The day of the Lord is at hand. He's talking about a whole new thing that has started. Now that Jesus has made a way through His sacrifice, the day of the Lord is here. The kingdom of God has come. Because of that, we can be in His presence. Jesus is our temple. You know one other place that the New Testament describes as the temple? It's your body and mine. In this whole new way of living, this whole new kingdom, we no longer have to go to a building We no longer have to go anywhere. God comes to us. God is with us. And His Spirit dwells in us. The flaming sword has landed on Christ. And now God has sent His Holy Spirit to indwell us so that we can know Him by faith. And in many ways, baptism is a celebration of just that very thing. The faith that we have in Christ who died in our place so our sins could be paid for, so that we can know Him and follow Him all the days of our lives. So don't just be religiously active. Bear fruit. Know Jesus by faith. One of the evidences you'll see of that is you'll be a person of prayer.